This podcast was recorded at Hartford Street Zen Center, Isanji, in San Francisco. Please help support our temple by making a donation at hscc.org. The uh, gentleman outside screaming is looking for his cat. periodically. I don't know if he's yet realized that screaming is probably not the best way to get his cat back. Uh, he has undertaken to be living rough in the company of a cat. I, I admire his spirit. I think uh, uh, we can hear a genuine pain in his voice. We don't have to uh, search very far for uh, the sights and sounds of suffering in our world. Uh, our, Our own, of course, is always right here. If that's uh, insufficient, then next being over, we'll have another uh, quantum of suffering. Um, And the uh, Buddha way, of course, is all about helping suffering beings. Um, Many of us, myself included, come to practice uh, in hope of getting rid of our own suffering. And uh, in Mahayana Buddhism, of course, the uh, focus shifts towards the question, well, what about everybody else? <coughs> and given how much the uh, world has changed. And looking back to Buddha's time, it may be that uh, people honestly weren't uh, ready to hear about addressing spiritual practice to a universe of suffering beings. Possibly Buddha's insight at the time was so (coughs) fresh and new 
that uh, is already quite a lot. And for people to think that, oh, I could be rid of my suffering and not only that, uh, exit the, the whole theater of suffering beings, that was already plenty. But it looks as though maybe in two, three hundred years went by before people started to think. Maybe there's more to this practice than getting rid of my own suffering. version of the uh, temptation of uh, Jesus would be for Mara to come and say Psst. guess what I will you can you can be done with your own suffering right now by my powers only you have to get out and not come back. I think that might be pretty tempting, actually. And some of us might feel like saying, okay, yeah, I'm up for that. However, some of us have already taken the uh, bodhisattva vow. And uh, maybe faced with that temptation, we would say, well, that's, that is very tempting, but uh, I have this other responsibility now. If that weren't enough, Professor Thurman has the, to, to me, novel interpretation that uh, even though the Bodhisattva vow says, as long as there are suffering beings, I will return again and again. He thinks that's mostly propaganda, and that actually returning again and again and again forever. That's what it's all about. And that is what Buddhas have done, are doing, and will always do. So I hadn't heard that one before. And at first I thought, well, wait a minute here. And I thought, actually, no, I think that's all right. Because for, uh, for Buddhas, 
what we see as a, a, an ocean of suffering is an ocean of bliss. So maybe that would be enough. We could say, uh, well, okay, Mara, you've got to go tempt someone else. We have this other gig going, and uh, we're going to keep coming back forever and ever, but we're going to keep coming back to the ocean of bliss. And then you can say, well, what about when all beings have been freed of their misknowledge and therefore in their suffering? It's like, well, we actually don't know what happens then. Time, there's, uh, there's plenty to do. I don't know, uh, Ty, maybe you notice uh, pretty much every night there's a uh, screech owl. You heard it? In the tree out here. Every, almost every night. Every time I hear it, I think of that uh, story, I heard the owl call my name. <laughs> is, that, is that my name? And then I thought, well, actually, the owl is always calling all our names, all the time. This is a good reminder. Meanwhile, we have, uh, we have a little uh, conflict, exactly. One aspect of our practice is uh, what uh, Martin Buber, a great Jewish philosopher, might have called the uh, distinction between religion and religiosity. We might say that's kind of like our distinction between nowadays people sometimes say, well I, I'm not interested in religion, I'm into spirituality. Probably something like that. Religiosity, you know, is maybe another name for that. Another term, sacerdotalism, which is uh, becoming kind of obsessed with the trappings of some religious life. <coughs> And 
when that happens, of course, then eventually you have a structure that doesn't doesn't move anymore. It no longer breathes. And then you have people retreating to various fundamentalisms. The Buddha knew about this, and in, in his teaching, Called this Shila uh, Vrata Paramarsha, we talked about in study hour. And that means Shila, uh, as you know, and in this context is a uh, code, particularly a code of conduct. And Vrata is a vow, and Paramarsha means to lean on. Of course, well, wait a minute, don't, don't we have, in the Buddha way, don't we have a code of conduct and don't we have vows? It's like, well, yes. So the difference, though, is that when you start to lean on that stuff, you feel that the code and the vow are all that's necessary for liberation. Follow this code, I'll make this vow, and that's it. I will be liberated. So, two and a half millennia ago, Buddha was able to say, No, that's religiosity, and that will get you nowhere. Religion, for, for Martin Buber, anyway, always has to be connected to and nourished by what he called the, the something like the uh, molten inner core of the human being. That's his as good a, a poetic description as I can think of. And the practice of Zazen is simply sitting and uh, letting the molten inner core radiate. Zen, of course, we have the same. The, the hand cannot grasp itself. Another hand could, but your own hand cannot grasp itself. So the your your molten inner core is not something you can look at and fiddle with. Admire. 
worst of all is to try to get someone else to look at your multimeter cords. Isn't that nice? Don't I have a great multimeter cord? People do sometimes try that. Usually that doesn't go so well. And sometimes people will say, yeah, that is, that's really good. Not realizing it's, they're admiring their own multimeter core. And they've put that on someone else because for whatever reason, they are unable to tolerate the notion that they are just like that. So without that connection, which is, uh, I would say, it's a matter of, I guess, you have to say intuition, and a profound intuition that there is such a thing. It's just like our, our story, you know, about, uh, oh, lots of stories, but the, my, my old favorite, the teaching of the insentient. And, you know, the monastic comes to National teacher, Nanyan Hochong, and wants to be told about this. What is the teaching of the insentient? And uh, the monastics says uh, you know, some stuff and, and National teacher explains a little bit, and then the monastic says, "Well, why, why can't I hear it?" And the national teacher says, "Although you say you can't hear it, you cannot hinder the one who hears it." there's an invitation to a great intuition there. And it's a little like I saw a uh, old, old, old time interview with Dr. Carl Jung and this almost almost Monty Python-ish sounding interviewer says, Now, Dr. Jung, can you tell me, do you believe in God? <laughs> and Jung says, This is a very difficult question. And he says, I don't have to believe. I know. the sound of the molten inner core, which is the heart of our cultivation. 
that uh, that message, if you like, is you know it's everywhere. Sentient beings, the world around, have all heard this. Muslim saint and poet Kabir said almost exactly the same expression as Dogen said uh, where you are is the place he was what a couple of centuries after Dogen so maybe he heard it from Dogen doesn't seem very likely that. Well, sounds like the cat is still missing. Yeah. So if you see a, a I think uh, actually it's a gray and black tabby wandering around looking lost, it might be Artemis. And if you do, maybe you can help our friend out here. He sat down and uh, let his molten inner core radiate. Maybe Artemis would feel like coming back more quickly. Thank you very much.